Good morning. Happy Father's Day. I'm uh, Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a guest, welcome. If I didn't get a chance to meet you, please uh, stop me on the way out and say hi. We've got gift bags over on the side that tells you more about the church and who we are, what we believe, and uh, hopefully you had, shook somebody's hand on the way in. Um, if you're a father here, happy Father's Day. Um, it, you know, it's, it's Warner, when, when he was uh, talking to the band before, um, after practice and all that stuff, you know, he had mentioned that of like the difficulties that, that um, some people have with their earthly fathers and, and how that's an impedance to worshiping God the Father. And I, I think, and I've thought that before, but I don't think I ever really connected it with the Trinity and, and the way God exists um, in our lives, right? In, in that the Father is, is sovereign and, and orchestrating all things, and uh, often we describe him as being the, the, the one who uh, orchestrated the plan. And then Jesus is his son, who, who comes incarnate on earth and lives among us, and we can relate to him. We read stories. I mean, the story of him and Mary and Martha just crushes me every time I read it, just even thinking about it crushes me, you know? Like, it's just this incredible son of God that we go, okay, there's a different facet of God. And then you have the Holy Spirit that walks alongside of us, that comforts us, that convicts us, that dwells with us, like, like, there is no facet of our lives that, that God does not relate to us in some different respect because I think we have those hurdles, because I think we have a, a, a lack of language that we can't adequately describe the creator of the universe. And so we use terms like father and son, and we're, we're limited by our vocabulary because we all know what fathers and sons are like, and sometimes they're not great. And sometimes they are, you know. So anyway, I just think that's an incredible. So re reflect on that as, as we go out and as we, we you know, because we each have different hurdles in, in understanding who God is. And this morning, Paul is going to wrap back around. Like he, he's closing out the last couple chapters in his letter to the Corinthians. And he's going to do just that. He's going to say, hey, listen, we've been talking about this looking through life with this gospel lens. I've been encouraging you to look at your situations, how you worship, your, your uh, relationships inside of marriage, how life goes about, right? Like everything that Paul is talking about, he's been applying and applying and applying and applying the gospel to the situations in our everyday life. And at the end he goes, but don't forget who God is. Don't forget the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't forget who Jesus is and that he rose from the grave. And so this is what we're gonna spend our time on this morning. And then you guys hopefully read some of it uh, the beginning of 15 this week and then we'll kind of work our way through 15 and then finish off in 16 next week. But this is where Paul ends his letter to the Corinthians is going back going, do you understand who God is? <laughs> do you understand what he's done and what he's accomplished on your behalf? When we sing these songs we don't, we don't sing these words lightly. Like, legitimately, we are undeserved of what God has done for us. And we look at this and we reflect on who Jesus is, what he did, what he accomplished on our behalf. And that's the foundation of our faith. So let me, let me start by praying. Father, we, we thank you for this time. 
we thank you that you reveal yourself to us through yourself, your son, through your Holy Spirit. God, thank you. Thank you for wanting us to know you. Thank you for loving us and rescuing us. I pray that this morning that our eyes would be set on your son as a representation of all that you have accomplished and plan to accomplish for us. Thank you, Father. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review real quick where we, hopefully you read through verses 1 through 11 this week, but I'm going to hit a couple highlights here, and that Paul is taking everything, right, that he's, that he's been applying. He's talking about how the church should operate and all these very practical things in life. And then in, ver- in chapter 15, verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And then what Paul does here is he actually quotes a confession that uh, is actually littered throughout the New Testament. It was, it's clear that Paul, most scholars agree that Paul here is, is quoting something. He's not really, he's not setting out these things. These are things that had been claimed by the disciples, uh, by the followers of Christ prior to this. He says, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So what, what Paul does is he goes, all of this application is good, it's appropriate, The gospel feeds into our lives, but don't forget about the foundation. Don't forget about the truth of who Christ is and what he accomplished on our behalf. That is the foundation of our faith. In fact, what Paul is going to go on to say in chapter 15 is that it all rests on Jesus. Everything. Not just on Jesus being a moral teacher. It all rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of our faith. That is everything. So when we go and we think about how our lives as followers of Christ are impacted, how our decisions are informed, and the circumstances of our lives we interpret through this gospel lens, Paul says, that's good, that's great, and you need to do that, but realize where you got that gospel lens from. It came from Jesus Christ. It came because of his resurrection. And this is what Paul is going to use to start launching into the rest of this. And if we remember, Paul started this way back in chapter 1. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. He says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach what? Christ crucified stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. You see, Jesus Christ being crucified, and by implication, and we're going to see this, by implication, him rising from the grave, being resurrected, is the power and wisdom of God. That is the wisdom that pervades our lives when we look through the gospel lens and interpret our situations through that gospel lens. That's God's wisdom. 
through his Holy Spirit. It's the power of God to raise Jesus from the grave, to resurrect his body, that gives us hope that a resurrection for us is equally true. You see, it's the power and wisdom of God. It doesn't make any sense to the world. It was foolishness, right? But Paul says that's the foundation of our faith. He's like, so don't forget that. Don't forget that this is what everything launches off of. You see, the Corinthians had a problem, and we've kept walking through this, right? And it wasn't a unique problem for them. It's very similar to our own problems in that they started looking at their faith purely from a practical perspective. They looked at Christianity, they looked at following Christ as this will help fix my life. Now, oftentimes I'll stand up here and we'll, we'll talk about like, like our faith is not just a deposit for eternity. It, it affects our life. It influences our life. It, it gives us peace and contentment and joy now, right? So those are all true. But it's not just that. And this is where the Corinthians had taken this. They, they had taken the gospel and they made it a very practical tool to fill their lives, right? They talked about gifts and they started competitive, right, or competing their gifts one versus another. It was, it was a, just a, a very poor environment. They weren't focused on building each other up. They were focused on uh, claiming their own resources and who they were. So what were they doing? They were taking the gospel and they were just using it for their own benefit. And they were just trying to fix their lives. And that's not very far from our own perspectives, isn't it? I mean, very easily we slide into this very practical theology that, well, I want my kids to grow up in church because they're just nicer people. They're more moral people. If I had to pick, where would I want my kids to grow up? And so it becomes a practical solution. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I'm just saying, like, that becomes the motivation or perhaps we go to church because we feel as though this is making up for a history in our lives of things that we regret. Or maybe just the night prior, things that we regret. And so we come to church and we feel a little bit better. We feel like we've paid our penance and that, that God is somehow more pleased with us because we happen to be sitting in here on a Sunday morning. Or maybe it's not something we can put our words to and we just feel better about ourselves coming here. And when we spend time reading God's word, we, we feel a little better about ourselves because we're like, yeah, I'm good at this, I guess. I prayed this morning. I, I, I spent a little bit of time with God, right? And so it becomes something, if we're not careful, it becomes something that is all too practical. And what Paul is going to say is, don't forget, there's an eternity that lies ahead of us. There's an underlying purpose of God's plan in all of this that ought to be our motivation. And so he, it's not a one or the other, and we always pit these things against each other, right? We go, well, no, it does help us in this life, and it does. But it's not just for that. It's because God is the creator and the rescuer of humanity. And so it's, it's a and, not an or. It's both. 
And so what Paul is going to say is that the resurrection matters. It matters that Jesus rose from the grave. And I'll just stop here for a second. You know, there's, there's a lot of terms. The vast majority of the population believes in an afterlife, which is humorous to me. Because most of it is just not founded on anything other than just some sort of mystical hopefulness. Some sort of idea that, well, I hope this isn't all. And I'd expect something to be more, right? And there's, I mean, you've probably had conversations with people that it's like, how do you live that way? How can you live in an inconsistent manner? And we'll see this as Paul walks through this. He is very concerned about consistency in our faith, consistency in our beliefs, that what you believe here affects what you believe here. You can't believe this and do or believe this. That's, that's really what, and you'll see as we kind of walk through this, this is constantly on Paul's mind. And he's like, this is a package deal. He's gonna say this resurrection of Jesus comes packaged with a bunch of stuff, a bunch of blessings, a bunch of joy, and a bunch of peace, and an eternity for ourselves, right? And so, so he, he's gonna walk through all of that. He's like, but you can't just pick one piece out of this. You can't just pick Jesus' resurrection as a faith statement and not apply it to your own lives. And so this is where Paul is going to walk through this. So if we're going to pick up in verse 12, we're going to be going through verse 34 this morning. And so this is where he's going to start. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. So there's an if statement there, right? Paul's saying, and by implication, you'll see as we get through this, he's saying, if you believe, if you're proclaiming that Christ is raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay, so let me just pause here for a second. I'm going to do this as we kind of walk through these next few verses. A lot of people believed in an afterlife. Most did not believe that this body would be resurrected. They believed that the spirit of the person would go. They would believe that, that in fact, especially in Greek time, like while this is being written, a lot of people felt like, like the body, natural body was, was evil and was not something that, that should exist. But as we read through scripture, and I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on this, but as we read through scripture, the word resurrection means the body rises again. That's what it means. Jesus did not show up to the disciples in the upper room as a spirit. He showed up, his, the tomb was empty. We say that all the time, right? Because his body wasn't there. He, he rose, that's resurrection. That is what we are promised. Now, we're not gonna get into all this and I would encourage you to go explore the scriptures. I don't know what age your body is going to be when it gets raised, okay? The Bible doesn't say it. I'm guessing, you know, I don't know, mid-20s, I, you know, I, I'm, that's what I'm, I'm guessing on, right? We're probably not all going to be one-year-olds. That would be weird, right? Um, so I'll just let you guys ponder on that for a second. But, but this idea of resurrection is very real, and it's clearly unique. It's, it's very unique. And so people struggled with it. It's funny that we don't really think about it very often. In fact, me just saying that, you're probably like, 
I don't think I've ever even thought about that part of it. And, and some haven't. And, but like this idea that there's an afterlife was common. The idea that there was a resurrection, not very common. And so with the Corinthians, they're going, well, no, what we, I mean, we know and we heard and, and yeah, 500 people saw Jesus rise from the grave and the body's not there and, and then he ascended. We have to believe that, right? And, and Paul even says that, we just read. He's like, these people are still alive. You can go ask them. You can go ask them if they saw Jesus after he was crucified and they're gonna go, yeah, he ate with us. He walked next to me. We, we touched his hands. Like he was physical. And so Paul's point is go. You know, go ask them. This, this is true. And so people believed that, but what they didn't believe is that that implied that they would have a promise of resurrection. You guys get this. And so, and this was very common. The idea that, like, this was all we had. And so you could imagine, how does that change your mentality? This, this is this life. Okay, well, then it's a very practical thing. My, my belief in Jesus, great, God raised Jesus from the grave and all of that, and he saved us from our sins, and so now I can live a better life, but then I'm going to die, and then I die, and I perish, and that's it. And so this is kind of where, where Paul's going. He's like, you can't believe that. <laughs> that's basically what he says in verse 12. Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead. So now Paul's going to go down this logic train, and there's a bunch of these things, okay? He says, so, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So that's very, his first point. He's like, if you're saying that the dead aren't raised, then Jesus wasn't raised. So his first logical statement connects the resurrection of Jesus with the resurrection of humanity, which is interesting. And we're going to get back to why those things are connected here in a bit, Okay? Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He says, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, what are we doing? Stop preaching. Your faith means nothing. And, and he's going to go on and, and get through more of these things. If, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, we should all leave right now. I'm not joking. Like, that is a true statement. Verse 15. We are even found to meet... Actually, let me, let me back up real quick. Verse 14. He says it's vanity. It's vain. Your faith, our preaching, is just to help ourselves. It makes me feel better about myself. In fact, if you go and read uh, Stephen Hawking, he'll, he'll, he'll talk about that with respect to religion. He's like, it, it, you're just afraid of the dark. Right? And this is what Paul's saying. He's like, dude, if, if, you, are, if you don't believe in this, then, then this is worthless. Like, you might as well. Like, you're just afraid of the dark. Go live your life. Don't be in here if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And that's what he's, I'm not saying that. I, listen to the gospel. But, but this is what Paul's saying, right? You, you can stay here. Let me continue to make this argument. <laughs> we are even found to be misrepresenting God in verse 15. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And so Paul goes, even worse, this is blasphemy. I'm misrepresenting God. I'm standing up here saying that Jesus rose from the grave and that the entire faith of Christianity teeters on that singular event. Verse 16. 
Paul goes, if that's not true, then I'm done. I'm misrepresenting God. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Everybody wants their sins gone. Everybody wants their bad deeds, whether, they, whether they're in the faith or not, whether they believe in Christ. Everybody in the world would go, I wish I could take that back, whatever that is. There's regret, there's, there's sins, whether they call them sins or mistakes or whatever euphemism they use for sins, right? Everybody goes, I wish that that wasn't there. And so people go, I want those to be gone. And so what Paul says is, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then guess what? You have no hope in a solution for your sins because that means Jesus didn't defeat death, which means Jesus didn't defeat Satan, which means Jesus didn't defeat our sin. It, it all comes together. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He kind of turns the knife a little bit here. He's like, all, all, everybody that you know that has died believing in Christ, gone. They, they, they don't even exist anymore. Verse 19, and this is the clincher. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Can you say that? Think about that. Our lives should be so characteristically influenced by the gospel that when we preach the gospel, and if our hope is in just this life, Paul goes, you could be doing so many other things. You're to be pitied. This is a profound statement, especially from Paul, who sacrificed his entire life for the gospel. And we ought to be doing the same. And we ought to be able to say the same thing. If this is wrong, what have I been doing every Sunday morning preaching? Right? If, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, what are you doing? Paul, Paul is concerned with the consistency of their lives. You guys see that, right? Like these things are tied together. And he goes, if you believe in, this, in these foundational truths, the foundation of your faith, and that's not true, the resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't happen, then you are to be pitied. And you have a sorry, sorry life. If our hope is in this life only, we are to be the most but, verse 20, in fact, Jesus has been raised from the dead. Whew, thank God, right? Because that's the reality. We should feel that way. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I'm going to interpret this or, or kind of explain this a little bit because sometimes that, that word is kind of weird. That, that idea of first fruits, if you're in a like, agricultural society is, is kind of like the first crop. It's like, it's like the first 
gleaning, if you will, of what you've been growing. And so it was, it was kind of a sample of what was to come. So that's, that's what they mean. When they're saying first fruits, he's saying like Jesus was like the sample of what was to come. So his resurrection was the sample of what is gonna be for us our resurrection. And so this is what he explains here. He says that he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, fallen asleep, again, dying. Um, we can get into that later. Uh, verse 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Okay, we're gonna spend a little bit of time on this because this is foundational to our faith. It's not something we, we talk about as often as we should. But this is really important. He ties two things, right? He, he ties Adam are, are us being somehow influenced by Adam and then us being influenced by Christ. Like these are two things that, that we kind of just assume and we just move on. But like if you look at Adam, like we understand this anecdotally to be true. Everybody in here sin? Raise your hand if you sin. All right, look around. All right, if anybody doesn't have their hand up. All right, right? So we all sin. We know this to be true. If you're going to have a kid in the future, I can promise you one thing. They're going to sin, right? Why? Why is that? Why hasn't anybody broken the mold, <laughs> right? In all these years, how has somebody not just like stepped out and like, dude, I, I solved it all, right? It doesn't even work that way. By the time you can even start thinking about sin, you've already sinned, right? So turn with me over to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Here's, what, here's the only thing I can connect this with. I think it's in the X chromosome. <laughs> it ha that wasn't an implication of like doubling or anything like that. I'm just, it's, we are all going to sin because we are all humanity. And through Adam, because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, he sinned, and so we all sin. This, this is genetic. As, and I don't know if it really is. The Bible doesn't get into those details, but it seems as though if there's something we could translate it to, it seems to be genetic. That there's no passive gene here, nobody's, no offshoots. Like, everybody is going to get the gene of sinfulness. And so that's where, that's where Paul sets this up. He says, as in Adam, all die. But then he says, so in Christ, we'll be made alive. Well, what is our, okay, if we've got this, this, this negotiation or this relationship with Adam, which is unfortunate, how then do we have this relationship with Christ? Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's the Holy Spirit. You guys get this, right? It's the Holy Spirit that gives us this promise of an eternity with Christ. What did Jesus say? Hey, I'm gonna leave. When I leave, I'm gonna give you the spirit. He's gonna be a counselor, right? He's gonna convict you. He's going to comfort you. 
the Holy Spirit is Jesus affected the reconciliation between us and God, right? He, he removed our sins. He gave us his righteousness. That's a one-time event that's happened for all eternity, right? Like Jesus doesn't keep coming down and dying, right? One time, all humanity, past, present, future. But the Holy Spirit dwells in us, was given to us daily, forever, to be with us. He's made a home with us. There's a unifying, that is a unifying event with Christ, right? We've read this, I, I think, a couple weeks ago where it's like the Holy Spirit is like the thoughts of God. Like we understand the mind of God or we have the ability to understand the mind of God because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's our unifying event. That's why we can say we're now with Christ. Jesus is now our brother. We are now children of God. We are adopted into the family. So while we got this from Adam on this side, on this side we get adopted with Christ. We are unified with Christ. And so as Jesus gets raised from the grave, guess what happens? We get raised from the grave. We've talked about this. What does baptism signify? We're united with Christ. We died with him. We were raised with him. What does the Lord's Supper replicate? This unity of each other, the, the body of Christ, right? That we're, we're eating his, his, the bread and the juice, representing his body and his blood. It's a unifying, everything that we do is about being united to Christ. And that being united to Christ is what affects our resurrection. It's why we can say it here that because Jesus rose, I'm gonna rise. That's what scripture teaches us. I can't read my writing here. Our resurrection, what, I, what do I have on the next slide, Tim? Our resurrection is through the Holy Spirit. Sorry, I wrote scribbles and I couldn't read. Our resurrection is through the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a whole bunch of debates and you can go in and, and read through scripture of, is it the Father that raised Jesus from the grave? Did Jesus have the power to raise himself, or did the Holy Spirit raise Jesus? The answer is yes. <laughs> and if you want to get another affirmation of the Trinity, you see that very clearly in Scripture, that all three parties have some sort of role in the resurrection of Jesus, okay? All right, so, so then what's the point of all of this? And this, this is the beautiful part. And this is why this is so foundational to our faith. This is why it motivates the gospel lens that we're interpreting our lives with. Because it glorifies God. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, this is the important part, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Our resurrection glorifies God. He's get that, right? Like, this is God who's had this whole plan from all eternity, from, from before he had even created a single thing. If you can even say the word before, 
right? Like, like as he does all of this, it's for his glory. And so when we are rescued, when, when Satan's sin and death are defeated and we are, at the, we are with Christ, when we are dwelling with God, God goes, look at what I can do. And we all are like, this is amazing. Look at what he can do. And God is glorified. That's the point here. So it's not like this resurrection, our resurrection is the end state goal for us that we're like, well, here's the deal. I get 80 years if I don't believe. I get eternity if I do. I'm gonna go with eternity. It's not just a very practical means for ourselves. It's glorifying to God that he is able to resurrect us. So Paul goes back in verse 23, then in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, and he, and he walks through this. He's like, you understand why this is so important, why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so fundamental to your faith. Don't, don't water this down. Don't think this is just about your own spirituality or that your own benefit or anything like that. This isn't a practical theology exclusively. Remember, if it's just for this life, we're to be pitied. Verse 23, he says, Talking about uh, the resurrection, he says, but each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, right? We just talked about that. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Paul gives a quick parenthetical reference, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. So basically he's just saying, that doesn't mean God the Father is now subservient to Christ. So Paul's kind of given this quick disclaimer here. Verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. What's the point? What's Paul's point in all this? He's like, don't forget, this is all about God's glory. It's about glorifying God through each one of these events that God has orchestrated before time began. Your faith is not just some practical, hey, this is going to help me in life. It will, but it's not just that. In fact, we live so that we can glorify God. We live so that we can be resurrected and glorify God in eternity. Like, that is the purpose of our lives, and this is where Paul's trying to shift the Corinthians back. He goes, don't think. Don't think that this is just for now. This is also for eternity. All right, verse 29. He says, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Okay, I am not going to talk about baptizing for the dead, but here's what I would say. This is a great way to interpret and, and say, is Paul's point here to, to go on some diatribe about baptizing for the dead? That's not his point at all, right? He's not establishing, this is, this is not a prescriptive thing. Paul's not saying, hey, you guys need to make sure you're baptizing for the dead. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Your theology's inconsistent. That's what he's saying. Why are you baptizing for the dead if you don't believe 
that the dead rose. You're inconsistent. He's not, he's not even dealing with baptism for the dead, which does not exist, by the way. Um, he's not even dealing with that. He's just saying, well, you're, you're being inconsistent in how you're applying Scripture here. This is a really important point. And I, we need to think through what we believe. This is, this is you. I can't stand up here and preach things, and Gene and, and Brian can't stand up here and preach things, and it's going to fill all the gaps in, in your knowledge. Like, you got to get into Scripture. you got to be thinking and applying it and trying to understand and go, well, that doesn't make sense. Okay, ask the question. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of asking the question. In fact, we're going to, um, after next week, we're going to do a whole series on the Bible. Like, I think it's five or six weeks. And it's going to be like, what do we believe about the Bible? A lot of people are afraid of that. A lot of people are afraid to go, man, I, do I really want to say that the Bible's inerrant? Can I really back that up? Can I really back up what I believe? And maybe this is a question for each of you. Like, can you back up what you believe? Do, is it a constant stream of understanding of who Christ is? I'm not saying we're going to understand all things, right? There's certainly going to be some gaps in there that we have to like kind of jump a bridge maybe a little bit, right? There's a few of those. Prophecies in tongues, I just jumped that bridge last week, okay, right? It's okay, but is it consistent? Or does this line go here, and then all of a sudden you're up here, and you're going down this line? Does that make sense? And this is, this is your ownership of your faith, and this is for the youth in particular too, right? Like this is that transition of going like, this is what I've been told. Okay, does it make sense? Does it make sense? Because this is where Paul is going, what you believe doesn't make sense. How are you baptizing for the dead if you don't believe the dead exists? I, which I've got to imagine the Corinthians were like, oh, good point. <laughs> right? And sometimes we just need that. Like, how can you believe that? Oh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I believe that, actually. Let me get into Scripture. Let me figure out. Let me ask some people, right? All right. Verse 30. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our, our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I, fight, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. He goes, be consistent. Be consistent. If you don't believe that there's a resurrection of the dead, go have fun. That's, that's Paul's instruction. Go. Go, unabashed freedom. Have a blast. See where it gets you. I'll see you in 20 years. Right? Be consistent. Because the reality is that Paul's saying, listen, I'm, I, I, we, nobody, scholars really don't know what this fighting beast at Ephesus means, by the way. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, I didn't read that. We don't really know. But Paul's point is that his life has not been on easy street, right? Paul, Paul lost all of his friends for sure, right, when he stepped across the aisle. I mean, at a minimum, he's dealt with the murderous past that he's had. He's, he's had a tough go of it. He goes, why? Why would I do all this if, this is, if it's just for this life? Like, I could, I could think of way better ways to do this than being shipwrecked and doing all sorts of crazy things, right? Verse 
when he says in verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. A little like proverb just thrown right in the middle of that, right? Like Paul's like, don't hang out with dumb people. <laughs> that's what he says. <laughs> I mean, it, that's, that's Jonathan's uh, proverb summary there. He says, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. When he says that, no knowledge of God, he's going back to those, those foundational principles, the, the foundational truths. Like, these aren't just touchy-feely, like, I think God's out there, and I think he might want to save me. That's not it. Our, our faith rests on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ a historical account that has never been disproved, right? That when Paul is writing this, these people are getting the letter. They're like, hey, let's go talk to Jim because he saw Jesus or as he says he saw Jesus, right? Like these things are happening at a time when they could be easily disproven. And we could go down a whole line of, of you know, how we can trust the scriptures and how we can trust the accounts. But regardless, we have a Jesus who said that he was going to die and rise again. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance for me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, God's plan from all eternity was that Jesus would come and die and rise so that we could be united with him, so that we could rise so that God could be glorified, so that we could be a testimony to God's power and his wisdom, and that we could rejoice in his presence. That's the point. That's what Jesus is declaring was going to happen. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then what he said here was a lie, or he had no power to accomplish it. You see how our faith teeters on all of this. Let me leave you with this last promise that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You see, this has to do with God's power. Because nobody can resurrect anybody from the dead except God. And if we believe that Christ rose from the grave, we have a promise of this resurrection, which means our lives are not just for here. What we do isn't just for here. We don't care about people just to make their lives easier here. We care about their souls. We care about their eternity. We care about God's glory. Let me pray.